Support for this podcast comes from you and Yankwich & Associates, since 1997 working to provide expert, responsive service in intellectual property law to biotech, biopharmaceutical, and biochemical companies worldwide. More information at yankwich.com. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. In 1979, one of my favorite television stations began broadcasting. It was started by a guy who, before he started a TV station, was famous mostly for escorting the First Lady, Lady Bird Johnson, down the aisle at her daughter's wedding. But his real love was media. He'd been a radio DJ, a press secretary, a media reporter. So it probably wasn't a surprise that in the late 70s, Brian Lamb had an idea that didn't just change TV, it changed politics. It was called the Cable Satellite Public Affairs Network, C-SPAN. And C-SPAN, even though it's low-key, has become part of American pop culture. Here's a recent clip from The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Coming up at 10 a.m. on C-SPAN, the House inquiry into Russia's tampering in the election. Hey, what's the holdup, guys? You done with these promos? Hey, Chuck, what's at two? At two is a debate about whether Representative Nunes should step aside in the Russian probe. Well, what happened to the FBI testimony and the investigation into Russia? Oh, God, that's now a closed meeting and is held on Wednesday. No, that's the House committee questioning of Roger Stone on his Russian connections. No, you mean the House committee questioning of Carter Page on his Russian connections. Wait, those are different guys? God, I, so. I don't know. How is anyone... I mean, it, it, it is... Everyone out. I am new boss, Ivan Sispanovich. Brian Lamb, not Ivan Sispanovich, joins us. Brian Lamb, welcome. Hi, Kara. <laughs> so how do you feel when you hear C-SPAN, um, which obviously is famous for just broadcasting the proceedings on the Senate floor and the House floor, kind of absorbed into pop culture that way? Well, I have to tell you that we have a, a pretty good audience that registers among young people. And I've always thought it they didn't really watch C-SPAN as much as they watch Saturday Night Live and Colbert <laughs> and Jon Stewart. And they think they've watched us. So uh, we love the publicity. Did you get any pushback initially from uh, politicians when you said, I want to broadcast hearings or, you know, whatever it is, I, I, I want to put you on television? People said... Yeah, gosh, I don't know how introducing cameras into these rooms and these chambers, I don't know how it's going to change people's behavior. Because I think that's one of the objections that a lot of people have to cameras in courts and in and in political areas that people perform for the cameras instead of focusing on sort of the task at hand. Well, what was interesting, and because I'm an old guy now and I was a young guy then, um, the old timers were the ones that by and large were opposed to the idea of bringing television cameras into the chambers of the House and the Senate. The history of television in the hearing rooms is a bit uh, different. The Speaker of the House, Sam Rayburn, that they named one of the buildings after, was totally opposed to cameras ever being in the House hearing rooms. And so he had a, a moratorium on it as long as he was speaker. The Senate was not like that. They were always open. And the House kept watching and resenting the fact that the Senate was getting all the attention. <laughs> and yeah, and it's, it's, it's kind of the story of openness in Washington. Every time one says we're going to be open and the other says no, eventually the one that says no eventually has to open. And the only ones that haven't done that uh, so far uh, are the Supreme Court members who refuse to open it up to cameras. But almost everybody else sees the value of the public being able to watch how the decisions are being made. Do you ever uh, think yourself watching what people do in, in congressional hearings or, uh, you know, on the floor of the House or Senate? Do you ever think, 
uh, I can tell they're playing to the cameras here and and maybe it would be nice if we could turn them off for a while so that they could do some of those backroom deals that maybe would get something done. I do not. Okay. Um, I think um, there are times when I look, just like you suggest, I look and say, obviously, they're playing to the cameras, but it never leads me to think that they ought to turn them off. Uh, I've always thought these are adults. They have been elected by their constituencies, and the constituency and the adults who have been elected ought to be able to figure out how to do this in front of cameras. And keep in mind at all times, that's my money, that's your money, and the people can watch his money. It's $4 trillion worth of tax money, and they ought to be able to do that work in public, except in the case of a national security issue. Do you ever actually look at the ratings of C-SPAN and think about what people are watching and what people aren't? I think about it, but we don't have ratings. And um, in some ways, I don't even want to watch because that would defeat uh, ratings because that would defeat uh, what our purpose is. I mean, there are occasions where we'll cover something that maybe in the entire United States, there might be 5,000 people watching it. Hmm. But if it's the right 5,000, it'll matter. And then other times when everybody's covering the State of the Union or whatever, our numbers will be maybe a million or so. But I don't know. And we've never known. Uh, we've never had the Nielsen thing. And uh, I hope we don't have to start it. But we have no ratings. We have no stars. We have no commercials. <laughs> That's a great tagline. We've got no ratings. We've got no stars. We're just here. <laughs> and we are so inexpensive. I mean, give me an example. Every month we get six pennies from every home that we go into. Hmm. ESPN gets late latest figure I saw was eight dollars and twenty five cents. So, um, of course, they're incredibly valuable and incredibly successful, mm -hmm. and people do love sports more than almost anything else. And I don't want to act like I'm fooling myself. We are not exactly, uh, as somebody once wrote, the fastest turtle in the pet shop. Uh, it, it's it's you know it's just what it is and so far so good it's uh, I feel very comfortable knowing that um, a bunch of human beings who run these for-profit companies have stuck with us for 38 years uh, so I uh, mentioned before that I am a c-span fan uh, there is one thing though that I'm not a big fan of which is call-in shows and I feel like callers often come in with statements rather than questions. They've got these very strong opinions. But I wonder, is it important to you to get those opinions out there? Well, Kara, you know during the last election that an enormous number of people in the media missed what happened. They didn't know the depth of the feeling on people out there and why they were thinking right. the way they were thinking right. when they voted for Donald Trump. We didn't have any surprises in that area. We had listened to and we split the lines up, one left, one right, one Democrat, one Republican, one independent, that kind of thing. There was no surprise for us uh, in listening to them. And that's part of the reason for the program. It's mm. they can't we we don't mind that they get on their soapbox. There are a lot of people, though, in politics that refuse to take calls. Mm. They don't want to mess up their hands in that kind of a people to people kind of thing. And they avoid them like crazy. Then there are others that don't mind it at all. And as far as I know. No one has lost their life from appearing on a C-SPAN calling show. <laughs> so there's nothing really to worry about. And anybody that is on uh, knows how to handle themselves. They're in the public light. And so that serves a purpose 
just like everything else we do, for a slice of the audience. Mm -hmm. I, I think I'm right in saying this. Share has been one of your call-in people, right? Just doesn't he Cher call in has, some, from time to time? But so was Ronald Reagan. Yeah, and so was Teddy Kennedy. Hmm. I mean, it was it's strange over the years of who's called in uh, because people – they hear something, and that was the case of President Reagan, and they wanted to set the record straight. Huh. So, uh, and this it is also, while he was president. This he was like calling from the White House. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, we had been down to the White House, and he had met with forty-five students, and we recorded the interview with the forty-five students. Came back to the studio, ran the thirty-minute program. He had gone back to the living quarters. And had not been prompted by anybody because nobody wanted him to call, I can tell you at the time. I remember that's the last thing the troika around him wanted him to do. And all of a sudden, his, he, got, he called the White House operator and said, get me on that program. And uh, she did. And, uh, and it was fabulous because the kids couldn't believe it when he called in. Huh. So you, you talked a, we talked a little bit about um, the last election. Um, we've got, obviously, a relatively young administration in the White House. Uh, and you've seen a lot of administrations. I talked about that, you know, all the way going back to, to the Johnson administration. Um, does this feel I, I feel like it's a common question that you ask people. How has Washington changed over time? What have you seen? How does this compare? And you've been around Washington, so let me ask you: Does this feel like a like a normal sort of relatively young administration, or as many people, both who like President Trump and don't like him, would say, is Donald Trump different from most of the politicians that you've ever seen? Yeah, but most politicians are different from the politicians I've ever seen. Hmm. In other words, you couldn't have lived through the Nixon administration or the Johnson administration, and I was in my 20s then, without seeing um, some very difficult times. This man is different by a long shot. And, I, you know, everybody in the country thinks he's different. And uh, I know what you're getting at here. Well, I don't know what you're getting at. I suspect what you're getting <laughs> at here is that, uh, that the people are deeply divided over this man and what's going on. But I've lived through Deeply deep division hmm. uh, with uh, LBJ and the Vietnam War, very deep division, mm -hmm. uh, and deep division on Richard Nixon uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, he basically had to leave office. There's mm -hmm. been nothing like that ever in history. Uh, and so I lived through Bill Clinton, mm -hmm. impeached, right, uh, right. not convicted, but impeached. Right. If somebody said to you, and I mean, you've, I'm sure you've heard it. Look, when you started out, there was no uh, CNN, clearly no Fox News, um, no MSNBC. Um, now we've got a whole bunch of all news channels. If there were to be uh, something like the uh, Clarence Thomas Anita Hill hearings, uh, when we see hearings about you know the current uh, investigations into Russia, those things are very frequently covered, sometimes wall to wall. The, the Neil Gorsuch hearings we saw covered wall to wall um, on cable channels. Who needs C-SPAN? They're just duplicating something that now, that once was novel, but now is, you know, the province of a lot of people. Well, I, that's, I think about that all the time. Um, I'm glad they're all carrying it. There used to be a time when the networks, CBS, NBC, and ABC, would get together and say, you cover one day, I'll cover the next, which allowed 
you know, uh, the money to keep rolling in and not have the kind of coverage that uh, all the networks could have given it. But more than anything else, we are more important when no one is there. We're not important when everybody is there, except that we will never comment on what you're watching. So if you want a place to go where you can watch the entire process without having somebody tell you what you just saw, we are there. The other thing, though, that I think we do that's just as important as that is that we have an archive. And anybody in the country and the world, for that matter, can watch anything we've covered free of charge in its entirety. At any time, we have 225,000 hours in our archive, and it's free. Hmm. Plus, we then take a hearing and run it in prime time or run it overnight or run it over the weekends to give people a choice. Right. So uh, I think it's all worked out very well for everybody in the process. And along the way, we've gotten a lot more voices by having a MSNBC and a Fox and a CNN and, and all the business networks. I think it's been a tremendous plus instead of uh, anything else. One of the things that you've done a lot is um, host programs where people have mostly written books, but they've done other things too, and that's why you're interviewing them. Um, book notes and, and Q&A. When you look back, I know this is a hard question, but when you look back, are there a couple people that you point to where like the interview still stays with you? The first one that comes to mind, yeah, lots of them, by the way, but the first one that comes to mind is Shelby Foote. Mm-hmm. We did a, this is going to sound strange, we did a three-hour interview with Shelby Foote in Memphis, Tennessee, in his bedroom. <laughs> That's memorable. You'll remember that. Here's the reason, though. <laughs> That's where he wrote his books on the Civil War. Hmm. Um, and he would – he actually spent – during the time that he wrote, he would spend alone time in his bedroom <clears throat> writing these books and sleeping in that room while he was – you know, he wrote a million words on the Civil War. But there was a fascinating moment for me in the interview with Shelby Foote when we finished talking about how he wrote and all that. And we were taking calls from all over the country. And by the way, people love to call in and talk to these authors. It's a, you can just hear it in their voice. Mm. I said, what do you do, Mr. Foote, when you finish a book? And he said, well, here's what I do. I, I spend oh, three or four months reading Marcel Proust's Remembrance of Things Past. <laughs> sure. Said, Little light reading. No, I said, sure. I said, you you're kidding me. He walked me over to his bookshelf, and there were the seven volumes sitting on the bookshelf. And, you know, it's hard to believe that somebody, because I've never read it, I, I have read enough of Proust to know that I wouldn't read the seven volumes. Uh, <laughs> he picked up the book, he opened it up, and he showed me, written down on the flap there, the, the nine times that he had read Remembrance of Things Past and wow. the date. Wow. So I tend to remember those kind of moments, and mm. there are lots of them over mm. the years. Mm. And you're so young, Kara, that someday when I interview <laughs> you, uh, you'll be talking about things that happened 30 years ago. Okay. Uh, this this will be an interview that stuck with me, right? This one right here. Um, <laughs> when you think about the future of C-SPAN, I don't know. What do you think about the future of C-SPAN? Is it going to be just what it is now? Is it going to be – do you think it's it's going to change? I think it's in the hands of the gods. <laughs> I mean, it really is in the hands of people other than us. We we can only do, I'm talking about the 280 people that work at C-SPAN, we can only do what we know. 
We have to be on our toes, though. I mean, we are into every technology. Uh, our industries let us do this, which they would, they didn't have to because they pay the freight, the satellite providers, but primarily the cable providers, and the industry is consolidating like it never has before. I mean, right. there was a time when it was all broken up, right. and now it's all coming back together. Um, there is a... F- you know, a minor fear that there'll only be one company left and after this is all over. And they'll one day say, well, we've had enough of that. You can get mm-hmm. all that they do somewhere else. But who knows what's going to happen? And we're just going to do the best we can to be positioned to move if we have to, if somebody comes along and says, we've, we don't need you anymore. Mm-hmm. And do you imagine yourself continuing to interview people and continuing to read books and ask questions about them for the foreseeable future on C-SPAN? Well, I'm 75 years old. I'm amazed at how good I feel now. But you know, when you get into this time of your life, you never know. And you never know when somebody's going to say to me, don't you think you've done enough of that? Uh, <laughs> you're starting to drool, get off the air. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's fun right now. And I don't know how, if I leave tomorrow or today, it won't really matter that much. It'll matter more to me than anybody else. But it's a for me right now, interviewing somebody, and I've got three books that I'm reading right now, one by Tom Reed on tax, one uh, by David McCullough, his new book coming out, and one by uh, a historian on Andrew Jackson. Hmm. Uh, I can't wait to get up every day and go to those books because <laughs> I know I'm going to learn something. It's just, it's just personally I'm being a little bit selfish right now because I'd rather do this than, than anything. Brian Lamb is the founder and former CEO of C-SPAN. Brian, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Kara. It was fun. Maybe not surprisingly, at the end of our interview, the master interviewer said that he had a couple of questions for me. Brian, did you have a question? Yes, I do, Kara. There's a series. I have three or four questions. Anyway, um, where are you from? Well, I was born in Peterborough, New Hampshire. And what got you into this business? Oh, gosh. Totally, totally circuitously. I uh, was... At one point, I mentioned that when I started this show, I got $200 a week. The good news for you is that you got $200 for one Saturday show. I got $150 (laughs) for a whole week working as a freelancer for UPI Audio. But it was a few years before I was going to say, was it 2010? Because, no, 2011. 1968. I'm going to say you made out pretty well compared to me. We've got Brian Lamb's mini interview of me on our website, innovationhub.org. If you liked this segment and you want to hear more like it, check out our website, innovationhub.org. We've got interviews there about everything from how Barbara Streisand upended Hollywood to why empathy is not always a good thing.